0: Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson is written in the 16th chapter of John, the 33rd verse. Christ is speaking here. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Nighttime bombing raids by Nazi Germany in 1940 and 41 rained destruction on London and other British cities, causing heart-wrenching, devastation, and loss of life. In less than a year, these raids killed 43,000 British citizens, and another 139,000 were wounded. The people of London remained resolute in their resistance amid the rubble and heartbreak so much so that the world marveled at their stoic resolve. Here you see a determined milkman making deliveries while wading through the wreckage. The people of London dug out the victims and cleared the streets, returning to work. Hitler's plan to demoralize and sow crippling fear in the civilian population prompted the timing of the bombings during the night. The underground, the subway system, was made available to the people of London as an air raid shelter, a decision that ultimately saved thousands of lives. So Londoners slept in the underground stations for protection. The way the people of London endured the Blitz made a deep impression on journalists whose stories helped persuade the U.S. public that Britain was not a defeated nation and would continue to fight against Nazi Germany. The raids continued. Prime Minister Winston Churchill's rousing words encouraging the populace in this peril have resounded businesses, and churches were reduced to ruins, including the London Church of Pastor Leslie Weatherhead, which was gutted by fire in 1941. The members of Pastor Weatherhead's congregation, even as they stoically endured the Battle of Britain, came to him with questions, questions about God's will, amidst the strain and weariness of war. With all the horrors they must endure, how could this be the will of God? Why would a loving God do this? How were they to accept this? Pastor Weatherhead heard confusion about God's will in the concerns of his parishioners. One woman came to him saying, my boy was killed 10 days ago but I am trying to bow to the will of God. Did she really believe that it was the will of God that her son was killed by the Nazi war machine? Seriously, wasn't it actually the satanic forces of evil in Hitler's Nazi Germany that caused his death? Even before Weatherhead addressed issues surrounding the will of God amidst the rubble of the Blitz in London, he had faced similar confusion during his time as a missionary in India. He tells the story of visiting an Indian family deep in grief because of the death of a young son in a cholera epidemic. The father attributed the boy's death to the will of God desiring to provide comforting insight, Weather had asked the father a question as they looked down on the family's other child, the sister of the dead boy. He asked, supposing someone crept in at night while you slept and deliberately put a wad of cotton soaked in cholera germs over your little girl's mouth. What would you think about that? The shocked father replied, What would I think about that? No one would do such a damnable thing. If he tried and I caught him, I'd kill him. What do you mean by suggesting such a thing? Weatherhead replied, Isn't that just what you've accused God of doing when you said it was His will, you can call your little boy's death many things, but don't call it the will of God. So, questions about the will of God don't just come up in wartime, questions about the will of God are echoed in the lives of those who face the daily heartbreaks, too. All pastors hear comments by the faithful about the will of God. Not long ago, I visited a sweet child who was hospitalized, facing major health hurdles. A family member said to me, of course, whatever happens, we know it's God's will. The next thing I'm going to say is important. The death of a precious child is not, is never The result of the will of God. God's will is that the parents of that child would bring that lovely baby for baptism because they want God enthroned in faith at the center of that young life. Sick and starving children are not the will of God. Healthy children who sing and play in the sunshine are his perfect plan. We all face days of loss and sorrow when a beloved family member dies. Some will say, it's the will of God. Does that mean all the medical resources that were used to preserve life were an act of fighting against the will of God? Of course not. So, it is important that we get a grip on what the phrase, the will of God, is all about. If we don't, we end up muttering, it's God's will, when the very opposite of God's will is being done. To tell someone in the midst of horrific tragedy that it's God's will is not a comfort. There is never true comfort in a lie. Only the truth sets us free, so let's explore the truth. Thoughtful, biblical answers can provide needed insight so that confused doubters may grow in faith through the power of God's word. The answers in scripture help people follow Christ, building a faith that can solidly stand through the hard times. Straightening out the misunderstandings about God's will brings true comfort and deepens faith. And the goal here today is to help you grasp that truth. Evil is always the enemy. Evil never arises from our perfect and almighty Lord. We do indeed have days of Brokenness and groanings, terrible times. Yet in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul explains that our Lord can take those awful evil things of this world and bring good out of them. Those evil things are not born in our Lord, yet He can use those unbearable moments. He can use them in His ultimately perfect plan, bringing forth good out of something that's definitely not good. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We do indeed raise our prayers to the Lord, seeking his comfort and protection, knowing that through all the evil and hardship, we can count on his ever-present love. We pray for his intervention against the foul wickedness of this world. We most certainly do not attribute foul wickedness to him. In scripture, we read over and over how Jesus heals the blind, raises the dead, cleanses the lepers, and cures the lame. All these miracles result from him reaching out to the hurting and wounded of this world. Their miserable sufferings are not God-given. They are evidence of a broken world to which Satan brings grief and distress. They are evidence of a broken world in need of a Savior. When the Son of God provides miraculous healing, he is not defying the will of the Father... Instead, in healing the hurt, Christ is doing the work of the Father. We know that through faith, we too will be ultimately and eternally healed. That's God's final will for us. No amount of dreadful suffering in this world can thwart God's end goal of eternal bliss for all who believe in him. He'll use the awful stuff in this world to guide us to lean on him and grow in faith. Have you noticed that in the hard times godly character and holy get, grit grow abundantly? Near something else to think about. As a pastor, I'm often... Dismayed and stunned at the suffering of the sick, the mourning, the wounded. The tragedies of this life befall the people of God with the same frequency we see in the general population. Nothing in the words of Christ, nothing in Christian faith promises a perfect life in this world. Sorrow, Frustration and pain cling to believers. God does not promise to prevent us from experiencing the evil brokenness of this earthly existence. He does promise to love and support us through them. To carry us when we cannot bear anything more. He promises that we will not be alone. He'll be with us right through the whole thing. That may not sound like much to a non-Christian but to a believer it means everything. We're not alone. God has not abandoned us. We don't have to bear it on our own. Even when we must face death we do it with Jesus at our side. After all, he is the one who went through suffering and death ahead of us, and came out on the other side, risen and reigning eternally. In John 16:33, we read these words of Christ: "I said these things to you that, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart; I have overcome the world." He's speaking here to the disciples. Doesn't it seem like as his first missionaries into the world, they should get a break? Shouldn't there be some protective bubble around them? No. In fact, he tells them as much in advance. As they carry the gospel into the world, they will face every manner of evil, beatings, misery, imprisonment, and death. Yet the Lord's good work will still be done in the midst of the wickedness they must endure. So despite the rejection the disciples will face, their mission will still result in success. That we are here in this sanctuary 2,000 years later demonstrates this. Omnipotent. That's a good word to bring up here. It means to have unlimited power. Some folks think that when we say God is omnipotent, that means the Lord forces all the acts and choices of humankind. This is not true. But if it were, it would mean people have no choices, no volition of their own. If it were true, then all would be mere puppets and pawns in the hand of of an unloving and oppressive God. What we mean when we say God is omnipotent is that nothing will defeat his end purposes. We talked about this in conjunction with the disciples carrying the gospel into the world. Though they might be horribly martyred, God's ultimate purposes were fulfilled. We may indeed ask why. When evil thrusts awful circumstances on us. After all, we would prefer that this world be absolutely heavenly. So we do question. But we should never attribute sin, death, and wickedness to the will of God. Instead, we go to Scripture for answers, finding confirmation there that evil is the work of Satan. He is the one who revels in the misery of this world. His works are wickedness. And in eternity in heaven, we will finally understand all the details. How it all comes together. This is the promise. We're told in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The church in ruins here is in Coventry. It was bombed in the Battle of Britain. Do you remember Pastor Weatherhead? In the aftermath of the bomb destruction of his own church in London, Weatherhead preached a series of sermons on the will of God. Here's the heart of what he said to his congregation, and it's the heart of my message to you today. The evil of this world and agony of its consequences are not the will of God. But nothing in this broken world will finally defeat God's will. We can see this in Christ's sacrifice on the cross evil purposes, the sin of this world, nailed him to the cross. An awful death. The ugliness of sin is reflected in the ugliness of the cross. Yet the final goal was achieved. The salvation of humankind. And it didn't come in spite of the cross, but through it. We trust in the Savior. We trust in the promise. We trust in the perfect will of God. Amen.